I'm trying to create a sense of pride in hospitality up here so that the younger people who actually do want to do hospitality as a career, not just as a time passer or a fill-in to pay for things while they're at uni, um, can feel proud to do that, not just feel like it's a stepping stone to, you know, whatever they're going to do when they're in uni. Like. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Finding a balance between work and life is a challenge for all of us, but creating a business you love can help you find equilibrium in the day-to-day. But how do you do it? Danny Elise is the chef and owner of Pam's Bottles and Cups in Devonport, Tasmania. Danny, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. It's great to get you on the show. You've got a pretty unique business up there in the north of Tasmania. How, how are things at the moment? They're going really well. Um, started off uh, slow and I expected that that would take quite some time to get the word out, but it seems to have kicked off now. So we've got some staff and we're busier and busier every weekend. Well, you're doing something that no one else is in that sort of area. Tell us a little bit about uh, Pam's um, Bottles and Cups. Yeah, so basically uh, uh, the northwest coast of Tasmania is quite insular in its um, vino culture. Um, Everyone likes, because we rely on tourism here, everyone likes to have a very Tasmanian uh, wine list, which is great. We love Tassie wine. It's beautiful. Um, However... There's only probably three distributors that like to get up to the northwest coast regularly. So unless there's a wine buyer in a venue that's sort of looking elsewhere, um, the wine lists are quite similar in that way. Um, yeah, so when I got back from South Australia, we would need to, if we wanted to go and drink something that we were really into, we would have to drive to Launceston. We, we love Havala, we'd go there a lot. Or um, we would go down to Hobart to see Al at Sunny or, you know, any of the night. There's millions of beautiful places down there now. Um, Pachinko was really great too. The, sadly, that's just closed, so we've lost lost them. Um, and we have Tamba, but they're quite far away as well. So, yeah, it was quite hard to, you know, have a social well, – all of our friends – own either hospitality businesses or other businesses on the northwest coast and they all love the same things that we do so we just really wanted to open a bar where our friends could come and we could share some different wine with the rest of northwest coast is it challenging getting the sort of wines that you want for for your venue and tell us a bit about what the direction is so uh, the direction is minimal intervention, like very low fi. Um, but mostly what I wanted was to find small producers in Tasmania that don't have distributors or can't afford them yet. Um, so we, so when I started, obviously I'm not, I'm not a wine guru. Like I just love it. So when I first opened, yeah, there's, I'm, I'm food first always, but, um, it was actually Duncan that made me start drinking wine. I never drank anything until I was like 25 years old. And, um, when I told Duncan that I, you know, didn't like wine, he was like, haha, yeah, dickhead, like here, here's some wine. I want tasting notes tomorrow. Cause like, this is what's going with your food. So go, go drink some wine and tell me all about it. And then I sort of, because he gave me lots of natural things, it was easy for me to put my toe in the water, if that makes sense. So yeah, so that's how I got into it. But 
when we first opened the doors, the easiest thing for me was to use producers who I either knew them of them or had had the wine in South Australia. And I lived in the hills for a little while, so I had quite a few things that I knew I could talk about to people because I knew that it would take me being able to speak about the wines to the customers to get them over the line because there's a huge uh, cohort of Moscato drinkers here and we had to do something about it. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so I started with a lot of stuff from uh, South Australia, a small production in South Australia, and then uh, I have a friend here who is the lead winemaker for Ghost Rock. She, however, has just started her own label, so we made her wine our house wine. It's gorgeous, like it's the it's the most stunning wine, and she severely undersells herself. It's the bane of my existence but she um she's from san francisco and she she helped like she basically was like oh these guys are doing they work for you know maybe home oak but they're doing their own little thing and it doesn't get out as much or you know these guys work for these people and now they've got their own label so through her and just a lot of research we were able to find you know, some smaller production people and I had to start making connections again in Tasmania that I may have already had in South Australia but definitely didn't have here to try and find people who were doing their own little thing without any type of distribution or, you know, lots of advertisement. And, and I mean, social media is really good for that too. I think once you start going to one or two trade shows, you start you know, following people and then they start following you and then you sort of get on to no- to a few more after that and it sort of just keeps going after that. You make some friends and they point you in the right direction with some more friends. <laughs> You're a jack of all trades with this establishment. You're in the kitchen as well. Um, tell us about the food that you have there. So um, when I first started cooking, it was, oh gosh, I was 15 and it was, you know, more. F- it was on the central coast of New South Wales actually. Um, and it was heavily Asian focused there. So smaller plates. And then, um, I moved to Tassie and sort of stepped away from it for a while. Um, I got married and had kids when I was very, very young. Um, and then I moved my family to New Zealand to do a degree in culinary arts at, uh, the Food Design Institute in Dunedin, which was just like the best thing, um, I ever did. So we got to play in a multi-million dollar facility in a functioning restaurant and learn, you know, basically go over everything and teach you it's sort of like the concept of MasterChef how MasterChef runs the degree is kind of like that like they give you a design brief and they give you a certain amount of time to write your assignment and then you have to come up with the dish and then you do iterations after you have a panel of tasters and then you serve it to a working restaurant and they basically give you feedback on what you're doing but it's a creative space that chefs aren't typically afforded and because I had young kids it was a a really lovely time for me Um, and so that made me lean towards pastry and also towards fine dining as well that was sort of something I loved and then my marriage completely blew up it was terrible and I ran away back to Tasmania again where I always come back to to hide when I need to and um Yeah, as one does, a small little rock floating on an ocean. It seems pretty safe, doesn't it? Um, 
and I couldn't breathe here. I was like, I'm not going to work. And I had a massive ego and probably a bit of a chip on my shoulder and I was like, I'm not going to cook palmies or um, snitties at a pub. I refuse. So I started trying to find places I could stage at um, on the mainland and and usually my children would spend uh, a part of the Christmas holidays with their dad's parents in Tassie. So I had like a good four or five weeks to, you know, commit to something and, you know, learn some skills. And luckily Duncan let me come for um, that year and I this is um Duncan at at Africola yeah I didn't know like I knew who he was but I didn't realize how challenging like his the way he runs his menu and like the way he cooks and the way he yeah just completely different to what I was doing like at the time it was just it was the it was chaotic and it was hot and it was busy and he had an opinion about everything that we did and we weren't left to our own devices. You know, this was like when they just opened and he was there every single day and it was just a hot, sweaty mess. So that was pretty challenging for me. But what I did learn is like really how to feed people and how to give them, You, uh, I'm sure you've been to Africola, like you just get fed and fed and fed and fed. And I loved that concept. Like I fell in love with that from going from like fine dining, small plates, like plate after plate after plate of like little, tiny, pretty, beautiful, really structured and overworked food I would say to this like just letting these ingredients really sing and like punchy flavors and big bold colors and big bold flavors and just like basically Duncan's attitude on a plate but giving people lots of things and it turning into like a little feast that's what I learned there and that's sort of what I'm trying to do here so um, I also spent a lot of time at the organic market in South Australia. It's like an institution in the hills where they have an organic, yeah, an organic market and the waste from the shop gets given to the kitchen and every day you write the menu, basically what's going to happen that day based on what they've given you that's going to waste in the shop, in the grocery section. So um, I, there's a lot of vegans and a lot of um, vegetarians and so – Everything that I can cook, vegan or vegetarian, I'll always do it that way. So we're basically doing um, feasts, small feasts, uh, small plates, kind of like tapas, but it's more Middle Eastern inspired and there's lots of vegan and vegetarian options. There's not any meat except for like salumis and, you know, your prosciutto and melon and stuff like that on the menu. But mostly everything is like very big, bold, veggie-based dishes that can be shared and, you know, it turns into like a little mini feast and more things you order. And it changes all the time depending on what's in my garden and what my husband has grown for me that way. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned that you cut your teeth on the Central Coast. Whereabouts did you grow up and what sort of role did food play in your family? family when you were young? Uh, So we were all born in Tassie, but my mum's from Sydney and she hoiked us back up there pretty early on. She's an educator and she wanted us to, you know, go to really good schools. Um, We, yeah, we grew up for the most part on the central coast of New South Wales. We were in um, Forest's Beach. So there was lots of fishing, lots of surfing, lots of swimming, lots of outdoor things. We used to go hunting when we were younger. Um, yeah, my mom is an excellent cook. She grew up with a Polish 
uh, neighbor who her mum didn't love cooking, but my mum did and her neighbor was Polish and she sort of took her under her wing and taught her how to cook. Um, and yeah, my mum's one of those people that can just memorize everything she likes making and never reads recipes, sort of just cooks from what she has. And uh, my nan is the total opposite. She, you know, always had three different types of biscuits that she'd make every week in the cupboard and, you know, the cake that was the standard cake when you went to Nan's house because she'd been baking that morning at like four o'clock and she took us mutton bird hunting and we, yeah, like all that kind of stuff. Like we, I remember like nailing eels to the fences at Bellingham in Tassie when we'd be down here for holidays and like skinning them while they were still alive and, yeah, like like little kid gory stuff, like learning how to bash fish over the head with like axe handles and she was just a weapon. She was a farmer growing up in Piper's River in Tasmania. So, you know, she had her hands on food. She had she has big working hands, you know, still she's like 96 and in like a hospice care now at the moment and she's still just got these huge, big working hands, you know, like that. and she's a little tiny lady. But, yeah. That was sort of my – that was what made me fall in. All the smells of a kitchen, like going home to Nan's house and she'd have the gas burner on and it would just always smell the same and she'd be cooking fish or something she caught. And, yeah, and then mum at home who was super busy, like raising us by herself, but always had something on the stove for us when we got home and it was always crazy and delicious and, yeah, they just – that was my introduction to food. I just loved it. What was the reason that you sort of made them move into chefing? Was it that sort of exposure you had or? Yeah, I would say not really because my mum really didn't want me to stop school and start cooking. She just thought it was a terrible idea. She thought it wasn't conducive to a family life and she was right. Like she absolutely, so even though my mum was an educator and teaching because she was a single mum, she also worked in pubs and bars and stuff her whole life to have like that spare extra money for us. So she, yeah, she's an absolute weapon, like just such a such a wonderful human and so such a goer and I'm pretty sure that's why I can't sit still these days is because of her. Uh, yeah, totally just like always on the move, always doing something. She's still like it now. She's retired but she can't sit still. Like she's here with my baby like in the other room looking after my baby right now so that I can talk on the phone. Um yeah, she's great. But she, yeah, she really tried to steer me away from that kind of thing. She she just was like, it's not conducive to a family life. Like, you're going to be unhappy when you get older. Um, and I just wanted to be at the beach through the daytimes. And all my friends that I, I was sort of, it was uh, Tommy Halpin that's at Noma now. Like, he was cooking where I grew up at the same time. And um, everyone was surfing in the daytime, but they all got to go to work at night. Like, they'd leave the beach at like three or four and they'd go and do their prep and they'd work and then they'd, They'd be at the beach again the next morning and sort of seemed like just like the most brilliant lifestyle to me. That's all I wanted to do. Um, so I did. And then I kept up schooling at the same time. Like I would <laughs> do my exams and then go to work and stay up pretty late. And, you know, I was like 15, 16 years old and the chefs were like sneaking me into like the clubs at like – at some ridiculous hour and then I was you know racing home I, I never drank though like I just I just people watch I just was sitting there 
you know, people just watching these like debaucherous humans being hilarious. And I just loved the camaraderie that happened with everyone that worked in hospitality on the Central Coast at that time. They all surfed or they like windsurf. And then at nighttime, they were all together and they were cooking for each other and eating and growing these, like everyone on in Wombrel, where our restaurant was, everyone in Wombrel was backyard, which just looked like an urban landscape. It was filled with like veggies and rows and rows of garden like it was just amazing and I just loved it like I couldn't believe that there was this whole world that I knew nothing about prior and I wanted to stay I wanted to stay there and you know just be a part of it that's what I wanted to do unfortunately that didn't happen because I got shipped to Tassie for being a naughty girl at school and I I was out of it for a while Tell us about, you mentioned uh, the organic markets and Africola in South Australia. Um, what, what led to the move back to Tasmania and in the north where you are? Um, probably the same as how you were talking to Lockie the other week, the same thing. It was like I had, uh, I, I worked four jobs. I worked for, I was working for Duncan at Africola. I was working at the organic market. I was doing aces for him as well. And then, um, we were I was working for a touring company um, doing like hospitality for the artists that would come over and do like FOMO and stuff like that or on tour. Yeah, that was really fun. I loved that job. Um, but also I have two kids. So I was I had them half of the time and their dad had them half of the time and then I just was tired. Like I would we you know, late nights having when the weeks I didn't have them we'd have drinks after work and then you get up and you do you go home and do your normal life and then the next week I'd have them and nobody would see me for a week and then I'd go back and it was just bonkers like we had no family in Adelaide so I had a nanny and I had um really just myself to rely on and it just got a lot I could see you know the kids were tired they loved Adelaide though they loved the hills they loved the school up in the hills and the girls at the organic market like took me ages to get comfortable there after I left Africola I was just so hell-bent on being one of the boys for my entire career so just trying to fit into that, um, you know, male-dominated space. And I really always was a tomboy growing up, so I felt like it was fine and, you know, that I was handling it. But I got up to the organic market and it's only women or it was only women when I was there. And um, they were like, how are you feeling? Like, how are you going? Like, you do a lot. Like, you're right. And I was like, gross. What? How am I feeling? Don't ask me about my feelings. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about my feelings. Like we're at work. Let's go to war. You know. Like and they're like, no. Like, how are you feeling? Like here's some Tulsi tea. Like to sort your hormone balance out. And you know. And I was just like yuck, yuck, yuck. And I quit like straight away. I hated it. I had to get out of there. And then I went back down to the flatlands. We call the city the flatlands. And um. I realized it was the like it was so unhealthy for me and I needed to get back up to the hills like straight away and then yeah found my place there really really happily I um learned how to work with women and be around women and be a woman myself which I hadn't done at all I realized my whole life and yeah just having um a really supportive community was you know the best thing that could have happened to me and I realized 
that I needed like the next step from that as well, which would be to come home and be near family. And my pop was dying and uh, he was 97 and um, my kids didn't even know him. So I, yeah, just my son was starting grade seven and I packed up and I had been saying to Duncan for so many years, like even after I left Africa, I'd be like, I just want to go home to Tassie. And he'd be like, no, nope, you can't go. You've got things to do. Like people are just starting to pay attention. Like you need to stay here and you're doing really well. But by the time the year before I left, which was just before COVID, and I said to him, I think I need to go. He was like, yeah, you need to go. Like you. And when he said, like, I think it's time for you to go home, I can see like you're probably suffering a little bit. I I knew it was time to go, so I packed my bags and we all moved back home. What was it like for you when you got back to Tassie? Well, it was just before COVID um, and my mum had hurt her knee at school, so she was not working and she was with us and we were all locked in together and it was like the most beautiful thing that had ever happened to me. Like I got every day with my kids. I hadn't spent any proper time with them for probably four years. Um, we spent, we did homeschooling. My mum, as I said, was an educator, so she helped me uh, do homeschool, which I wouldn't have survived without her, obviously, because that's just a whole other thing. Um yeah, she, we just, it was just the best bonding experience and it afforded me so many opportunities to reconnect with my family that I just hadn't had in such a long time and it was like a real coming home. It was really wonderful. It was just the best, COVID and moving were just the best things that happened to my life, I reckon. How, how did uh, Pam's uh, bottles and cups come about? So... I always knew that I would open a wine bar when I came back here, but more I wanted a food with booze, not a booze with food kind of a situation. Um, So I knew that I would open a wine bar. And uh, I was living in Penguin, which is just taken off up here. It's just turned – it's been completely gentrified. It's really cool. It's like this little mini Byron town set on the water. Like it's picturesque and beautiful. Um, And I wanted to open a wine bar there. But someone has to die for you to be able to get commercial property in that place. Um, It's all owned by like families that have had it for years and years and years, you know. So I waited and I waited and I waited and nothing came up. Um, And then I've got some friends who own like the only place that's worth getting coffee in Devonport, this cool little place uh, called Fundamental Espresso. And we found this building that we could have put uh, a wine bar on one side and their coffee shop on the other side and that that fell through just before COVID which was good because if it had taken place we would have been in so much trouble over COVID like it would have just been a nightmare so it didn't really it didn't really happen which was kind of a blessing in disguise but they have a building out the back of them that we realized was empty and the day that I that we realized they were going to try and rent it out I called the real estate agent and he said someone signed the lease yesterday so you've missed out by a day and I was like oh good that's great I'll pay more money if you give it to me and he was like they've already signed like you can't have it I'm sorry um that was fine I sort of just put that on the back burner like I I just sort of got about got about my life went about my life started you know doing whatever I was doing and um 
then a couple of months later, the real estate agent called and said, oh, she's leaving. Do you want it? And we just found out I was pregnant. <laughs> um, and my partner, who also suffers from ADD and can't sit still, uh, who has his own business, his own building business, was just like, do you want to do it? And I said, yeah, I want to do it. And he was like, right, well, we're doing it then. And I said, what do you mean we're doing it? He's like, we can do this. Like, we can absolutely do this. So we signed the lease and opened the doors. Well, we didn't open the doors. See, that's what happened. So we signed the lease and we we built the whole thing. It was an empty room. He turned a tanning studio into a kitchen for me, um, custom built all the bar, put everything in for me, made it exactly like my wildest 80s porn star dreams. And um, and we filled it full of booze and licensing told us it would be eight weeks and it was eight weeks and then it was 10 weeks and then it was 12 weeks and then it was – we had uh, Michael Ingham coming from De La Quente to do the opening party and we still didn't have a license. Um, and we'd, you know, organise flights and accommodation and all of that sort of thing. And then uh, I applied – I just had this – thought I will just apply for a special license for that night that we had him and we would throw the party and um, try and fix the license, you know, try and, and then we'd wait out for the license again. And the day before, the day he arrived, we got the approval for the license and then for the special license. And then six hours later, as we were throwing the party, they approved our entire license, our general license. Yeah. So we, we were like stressed. And also this is like, we're talking four weeks before I'm due to have a baby. So <laughs> my uh, my waters broke while I was at work. Uh, the baby tried to come in the wine bar <laughs> and I was uh, by myself and we called my sister-in-law who's been sort of working with me since we opened the place and she came and we uh, had a baby and then I was back at work four days later. <laughs> well, um. Time management and sleep deprivation are big things when new babies arrive in the family. How have you managed sort of the new business and the new addition to the family in that period of time? Um, so I think sleep deprivation sort of runs in my veins and I it just it just is who I am as a human. I'm I don't know why, but I've just never I don't know, it's like the work thing, isn't it? You work late nights and you just get used to having them, I guess. Um, and also this is like my third child, like I, I'm, this is sort of seasoned at it now. So he, he's a joy and he sleeps really well through the night and, uh, I just can't do anything without my partner. Like he works Monday to Thursday in his business, um, and he's the boss, so he's on the phone a lot, but Thursday to Sunday, he's with the baby and he, brings him to me for me to feed him and then he brings him home and or they'll come and hang out for a bit while he's sleeping and he'll polish some glasses and do the floors and he's just like the best human I just wouldn't have like I could I just couldn't function without him and I wouldn't be able to do this thing that I'm doing without him so yeah that's the only way it gets done really is him <laughs> <laughs> is, is there a dish or two that sort of exemplifies your food sort of right at the moment that you can tell us about um, I would just say that like, well, I can't really, I mean, we everything is a vegetable. So, uh, every, 
everything that we do is like a mini meal in itself, but it all sort of goes together. So uh, we've had uh, Sierra that I was telling you about that has um, Zymo wines. Uh, she's also bringing me veg as well um, from her beautiful property in Forth that overlooks the water. Um, and uh, another girl who works for me who is the manager of Ghost Rock who also is managing my bar, most of the time she has a farm – uh, way further west but still north and she also brings me veg so we do like a fresh veg plate that we that changes every week depending on what they're bringing me and what my husband's growing in his garden and uh we yeah like we do big roast roasted veggies with like lots of cashew creams and lots of chili punchy spicy flavors um pickles and you know all that sort of thing just just it changes all the time, but it's very, very heavily veg focused. We get our uh, charcuterie from Casalinga, who's a small family business that's been running in Launceston uh, for a very long time, and they're wonderful. Um, and yeah, cheese is all local. Um, yeah, just local veg and local local product. Has the move back to Tasmania has it changed you? Yeah, I think. Um, I think having a community around me again has softened me. I was like the angriest, uh, meanest human in every kitchen and I didn't really know like how to be chill. (laughs) Um, I now have my 16-year-old son working with me most nights. Uh, He's he's learning all the kitchen things and uh, although he's really good at dealing with my instruction, I've obviously calmed a lot um being with him because I you know I'm obviously very mindful about hurting his little feelings I never want to do that he can take it but like at the same time I just don't have any need to be like that anymore and just having the community of women that I have around me at the moment um like we did a tacos and tequila night a couple of weeks ago for my birthday and uh I've got uh, an amazing chef, Kate, and uh, like I said, Bree and my sister-in-law, and they all work with me and they basically let me have a fun night while I was at work. I did all the prep and made sure everything was easy and they just took care of everything and just having that like support, like everyone passed around my baby and I, while I got jobs done and then he slept in the kitchen and then these women are taking care, like it's just, yeah, I don't think I would have formed such strong connections if I was still in South Australia and I I didn't have that family base that I have here now. So that's really helped me soften, I think. Well, you've created a very unique business there in the north. What What are you loving about what you're doing? I'm, I'm, it's the community thing again. I'm really trying to uh, change change the community of hospitality workers up here the in Devonport we've got like everyone who's very skilled and talented goes to Hobart or they go to the mainland but we have lots of young people that are keen to be in the industry but not a lot of um people who are career hospitality that want to invest their time into training them so we don't have any of like the trade shows up here. I mean, um, Tamba do them, but that again for people in Devonport, where there's such a like we're the biggest, third biggest town. You know what I mean? So for such a big place, 
it's sad that we have to travel so far to have these trade shows that um, people in hospitality require. And it's sad that we don't have, like our, we open until midnight and we cook until midnight. We don't shut the kitchen. So there's nowhere else that does that. So there's nowhere for people in hospitality to meet together and have a drink after work or, you know, be in a quiet spot. I mean, there's clubs, they can go to clubs and, you know, be have a fun time if they want to do that. That's obviously great too if they want to be doing that stuff. But to have like a chilled out space with some nice music, some nice cups of wine and, you know, some snacks that they can eat after post-work just to wind down, there isn't a venue. So I'm trying to create a sense of pride in hospitality up here um, so that the younger people who actually do want to do hospitality as a career, not just as a time passer or a fill-in to pay for things while they're at uni, um, can feel proud to do that, not just feel like it's a stepping stone to, you know, whatever they're going to do when they're in uni. Like they should be proud of the job and proud of it as a career and, you know, have the stepping stones to get into any facet of hospitality that they find interesting or winemaking that they find interesting. Well, it's an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a part of your story, bloody inspiring stuff. Please keep in touch and um, we'll have to catch up again soon. Yeah, we'd love to have you down, Hug, for a little cup of wine someday. (laughs) I would love that. (laughs) Great. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>